Welcome to another episode of the Chop Liver Podcast. We are your hosts, Elise and Ame. Today we're going to dive into self-taught creatives and how to become an autodidact. Okay, so before we dive into today's episode, um, we're going to give a bit of a, a blanket apology to all of our wonderful listeners, um, since we haven't been able to post anything over the last few months. Um, and the reason for this is that both Amay and I have given birth to children, Amay is being an actual physical child, um, mm. beautiful baby Thomas. Um, and mine is a business. <laughs> um, so we have been a little bit swamped, um, but we are back and we are excited and we, um, we're very excited to be recording today. Yes, and we will um, commit to bringing more exciting content for the rest of the year. And it's been, we've missed, we've missed the Chopped Lover podcast. We've missed speaking about it. And time goes so quickly, I think, especially when you have babies of various kinds. But we're back and we are very excited to be chatting today. So let's go. Autodidactism. What is that? And autodidactism, I guess, the layman's term to being a self-taught and self-educated person, kind of working outside of the realms of institutions um, and your normal mainstream type of schooling. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's such a cool way of saying that you're self-taught as being an autodidact. And it's something that I suppose we both enjoy and a lot of people that we know enjoy. And it's in great to see so many people doing so many different things that they've taught themselves how to do so just creative living creative lives and yeah it's on Instagram so amazing to see so many people doing alternative things and I always wonder how they learn these things because it's not things that you can learn half the time in an I don't know where you learn them but I can't imagine that you learn them at, a, at an institution so we really want to talk about institutional learning versus self learning or being self-taught in something both you and I came from formal institutional backgrounds um, you studied at UCT fine arts and I studied history of art at um, Northwest University in Potchefstroom and we really enjoyed our time at university it gave us an amazing framework for arts research and learning I think it creates a, a wonderful base for learning how to use your brain effectively and also a springboard really for teaching the sol- ourselves the things that we enjoy doing you know, interestingly enough I originally applied for graphic design and didn't get in but I'm glad that didn't happen. I don't actually want to be a graphic designer by trade. But um, I was still able to take graphic design courses and things that could upskill things that I wanted to do. If I, I learned how to use Photoshop, I learned how to use InDesign in these extra courses. So that was really great that they offered those things. I even took a drawing class and I didn't, we'd had no practical at Poch at whatsoever, other than the graphic design department. But I even took a drawing course. And I'm so glad that that happened because I was in history of art. That's where I wanted to be. And, but I could still kind of develop these skills that I didn't know what I was going to do with them later, but I had an interest in them. And I took the, the classes and it kind of just kept it going a little bit. It's nice that the world of academia kind of introduced you to these more like practical things. And I mean, I, I love the academic world. I was, I think, in an ideal world. I mean, if I could just keep studying, that'd be wonderful. 
I guess during the time when we left high school, I mean, the obvious choice was to go study in a university, um, even though we were studying in the humanities, which is always a little bit different to going to do engineering or something like that. What university and institutional kind of studying offered me was a great way of kind of organizing time and knowing how to study, to practice something, to really kind of research something fully. And I think it was through studying in a university that grew my love for research and for constantly wanting to learn new things. But what often is the case is that going to university is often a very privileged thing to be able to do. There are a lot of people that don't have the means to go to university and some people also just don't have the desire to go to university. And a lot of people forget is there are a lot of other avenues that you can explore to learn new things. And that's where autodidactism comes in. And there are so many avenues where we can explore things and research things. And luckily, we are gifted with the wonderful magic that is the Internet and Google and YouTube and all these things. And as much as we really enjoyed and we benefited a lot from our university studying, I think that there is a lot of potential for people who just purely go the self-taught route Um And because they have two different things, it doesn't make one lesser than the other. There is somewhat sometimes more potential when it comes to being self-taught. It's because you don't have a module that you need to follow. You don't have set tests that you do. What's great about it is that you set those modules and you set those goals and tests for yourself. So you get to really work at your own pace and explore things in your own time that's the most productive for you. And I think that there's multiple things that can lead to it. You know, it's like um, whether you want to pursue something, you don't get in or you don't have – it's not really an option. Like I, I, if I have to think back on my background, it wasn't really an option to go and be an artist. Not No one said you couldn't be – you can't go and be an artist, but it was just in my brain or in my upbringing or – in my, let's say, the environment that I was in, there wasn't anyone who thought, or I, I suppose didn't think that this was a possibility. You couldn't possibly have a real job as an artist. So pursuing fine arts in my arena was just not an option. I had an interesting kind of very similar to that where I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm going to go study art because like, what else am I going to do? Um I applied for, actually applied for law as well because I'm like, oh my God, I need some kind of fail safe. And I got into law and I was just like, why? That is not at all what I'm interested in, but I needed something. But when I like fully decide, okay, I'm going to study fine art. It's okay. We'll figure out what I do afterwards. But I was telling this to um, a young cousin of mine who was about like 10 years old. I was like, no, I'm going to go study art. And she looked at me like very perplexed and she was like, why do you have to study for that? And it's just like, and it was interesting to her that like, but you can just draw. Why do you have to go and learn somewhere like fancy, like a university, go and do that? And I think it was very much in my mind, like I wanted the the academia, I wanted the, the lecture halls and I wanted that kind of structure. And I thought it's very romanticized when you go into it in the beginning because you're like, okay, I want that piece of paper. But I think it's also what is that piece of paper really? What is the value in that? Maybe that's something that's very important is where people place the value of their education. Is it about getting that piece of paper or is it more about what you're actually gaining and what information you're gaining that suits your passions and your needs more? 
studying is really, what are you really doing? You're committing to a number of hours over a period of a few years that you will apply yourself to a certain practice, whether it be law, whether it be art, whether it be whatever it is. So it's effectively committing to those hours. Um, and I think that that's where there's a wonderful parallel between university studying or studying with institutions and being self-taught. Because if you're self-taught, you're still going to have to put in those hours um, and really set those goals as to how far do you want to go. You know, if I'm going to do one hour of drawing every year, maybe, I'm not going to get anywhere with that. But if I do it every day and really have a very disciplined practice about it, there is no there's no chance that there won't be any growth. You will grow, you will expand, you will learn more, you will invest yourself more into it. And I just, as speak, as we're speaking about it, just realized like such a beautiful parallel in terms of the amount of hours that you that you have to put in. And that's really what it what it is. So it doesn't really matter where there's often this question that comes up on Facebook, like how are you an artist if you didn't study at an institution? And I think that you know, I don't know if someone like me can really answer that question because I didn't study fine art. But I think that if you apply yourself to that amount of hours and amount of research and learning all the things, going, getting where you want to be with that application, I think 100% that that is possible. Um, so, there, yeah, I mean, there are obviously a lot of advantages to being self-taught and we have drafted a few steps and tools and tricks that you can that can be useful and appropriate in self-taught learning for the first time or if you're feeling stuck and you want to just figure out a way how to do stuff we have come up with a few things that yeah. might help yeah and I think we've definitely learned from self-experience Amir and I are such we just love learning new things constantly I think we just wish we had more time to learn all the new things <laughs> and I think it's definitely tricks that we've learned over the years of teaching ourselves things I mean for me personally it's been teaching myself bookbinding web design I mean Amaze also taught herself photography um, drawing printmaking graphic design all of these things and I think it's really about isolating something that you're passionate about to start off with whether it's just an idea whether you're just being curious about something curious is the perfect place to start with it I mean I'm curious about how cups are made you know what I mean and then my normal course of action is like just google ceramics until I've kind of reached a very weird wikipedia rabbit hole <laughs> right and there's that that beautiful saying which I just love and so appropriate for our podcast mascot be curious like cats you know that's that's really what it is so I mean I suppose the first question is where to start it's such a like a poignant phrase the kind of where to start is this wonderful quote, recognizing what we don't know is the key step to the road to insight. And I think that goes back to the curiosity. It's often the case is like also just understand like you don't know everything. And it's that desire to keep wanting to know more things. And that recognizing can be anything. I mean, it could be I want to learn how to cook a new recipe. Like I'd love to make a roast chicken, for example, where I'd love to learn how to do needlework. I want to learn how to perfect my my figurative drawing. Once you recognize that, it also then goes back to those um, all those life orientation classes that I had in, in, in high school where it's like set goals. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but 
it's so poignant and true where it's like, okay, I've isolated the thing that I really want to achieve. Okay, I want to get better at my figurative drawing. And it's like, okay, now let me set a goal to do that. Like, what do I want to start off with? And I think making it into little bite-sized pieces makes it a lot more achievable. It's like, okay, um, let me first start with learning how to draw a hand. Because personally, I cannot draw hands. I once had an art teacher where I did a painting of, of, of a woman. And I did her hands and she stood in front of the whole class like, why did you paint sausages? <laughs> And it's like, well, I was trying, you know, and I've never drawn hands ever since. <laughs> but it's so interesting that you say that, you know, and David Hockney couldn't draw feet, apparently. Like, David Hockney is amazing. But that didn't stop him from doing what he needed to do, which was make pictures and become, like, super famous and very respected, you know. So don't let that also put you off. And I think that it was so interesting an artist had said to me just a short while ago that they'd never looked at someone's someone else's work and like felt jealousy about it but until he kind of stopped making work and then he would look at his peers and look at people carrying on making work and doing exhibitions and doing all the things and then immediately he felt like sure I'm like quite jealous of this person so jealousy I think is a good indication of what it is that you want to be good at if you it's a desire like what is it that you desire so jealousy is never good but I don't think it always manifests in a negative way it's actually just an indication of saying that that is so cool I want to learn how to do that so it's it's a good indication of your desire to be able to do something if you think that that's really cool then that's an important thing to then change in one's mindset is that if you're feeling jealous change that word jealous to desire it's like, okay, now this is something that I really want to do. Like isolate why you're feeling that kind of like jealousy that someone's able to do something that you're not. We've, I mean, we've spoken about this so much in other episodes of like wanting to do something that other creative people can. And the thing is, you can do it too. Your limitations are mostly just around the fact that you think that you can't because it's scary to start. I mean, you have those wonderful like quotes where it's like every every master was an amateur at some point. That's what you have to constantly remind yourself of. I even here's a perfect example. I was watching um, an episode of the Graham Norton show, the to- the talk show, and Ed Sheeran was on it. And he was saying like, oh, you must have always been a wonderful singer and really good at it. And he was like, no, this took a lot of work. And he played a clip of when he was younger and he sang and it sounded terrible. So that was like a perfect example. Like here you have someone who you think has just always been talented, but that talent needs to be nurtured for it to become something really nuanced and well-worked. So I think that we have to keep reminding ourselves, we're never going to start something and be perfect at it. We have to keep working and going back to the thing of putting in the time and the effort is the key to being an autodidact. Mm -hmm. And I think that that um, brings us to our next point, which is effectively, so it's like where to start desire plus goal setting. Set, find the thing that you want to do and then set a goal for yourself in the sense of I want to achieve this thing. I want to make one drawing a week or I want to make one chicken a week. Like I know I feel like chicken. But one thing that you're going to do that feeds that passion or that, that nurtures, as you said, nurtures that that desire. Yeah, I mean, we've taught ourselves many things. It's like illustrator 
is an example. There's so many videos online. Often now, even, I'm like, how do you do this? And then just quickly, because you know the program, you can easily learn how to do it. I don't know how to do everything. I never trained in these programs or whatever, but I know that it can do certain things. And if I want to know how to do whatever it may be, I can just go and learn how to do it on the internet. You're reaching something where it's point. It's like knowing where to access that information. That leads to the next, like, okay, cool, I've got my desire. And I'm like, I want to learn it now. They've got my goals. Everyone's first step. Let's Google it. Um, it's normally my first. Like Amay was saying, like if you're kind of stuck with Illustrator, I've literally typed in so many times, like, how do I draw a line on Illustrator? And then it's just like, this is how. <laughs> and we live in such a wonderful time that we have so many accesses to resources. Um, and that first one definitely being YouTube. YouTube for me is one of my main sources of um, information and how to learn. Just because I'm a visual learner, that's something that is very important to to look at when you're learning which resources is what type of learner are you? Are you someone who's going to learn far better from reading a book and reading a step-for-step kind of instruction? Or is it going to be someone physically showing you? Or is it going to kind of visually kind of absorbing that information? Um, and for me, YouTube is that thing. I am convinced that there has to be more older generation experts that need video cameras and need a YouTube account because I have learned so much just in terms of bookbinding I have learned so much from people just in their tiny studios in their sheds with very simple cameras just a tripod and just talking about what they're doing and I've learned so much more from that just in terms of like terminology little tricks of the trade that I have from reading all the bookbinding books that I have and there's just such a wealth of information and it goes back to kind of I get so excited when people share their information share their little tricks and I think YouTube is the perfect avenue for that because it is also freely accessible as long as you just skip the ads every few minutes Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I mean there's so much I mean I don't think there's anything that you can't learn on YouTube and then you know the other amazing platforms like um course platforms Skillshare um, is one of the ones that I know that you are subscribed to I've never I've never dealt with Skillshare but um, I know that there's an annual membership and I know that you've said that it's it's amazing um, as well the courses that you learn there Um, and yeah maybe tell us a little bit about Skillshare because I'm very unfamiliar with it Um, I found Skillshare really helpful so what it is it's an annual membership Um, where you can pay it monthly or you can kind of pay it like as a yearly sum. Um, I think it's something like $27 around. So it's quite affordable actually. Um, And it has a whole range of different courses. And what makes it really nice is the courses are actually really short. They're not these long like two, three hour things, but it's a professional in their field, whether let's say for example, watercoloring. So they'll then have like a half an hour to 20 minutes of where they're showing you how to paint flowers or how to do a landscape or something like that. So it's something that's very easily digestible as well in a short amount of time. And they even break it down into other certain sections like how to draw the stem, how to draw the flowers, how to mix colors. Um, So it becomes very easy to understand. Um, And even with some of the bookbinding ones that I've done on there as well, I find that the... 
the Illustrator and the InDesign courses on there are also very helpful. Um, just in terms of layout and how to export things for printing. That's also been really nice. Another one that I've really loved the most is Domestica. Mm, love Domestica. Love Domestica. And the reason for that is that it's so creatively focused. Yeah. It's just Instagram knows to just feed me Domestica adverts now. And I keep seeing this like, I want to, I'm like, but I don't have the time right now to learn how to crochet. This isn't, this, this isn't the time. <laughs> What's nice is a lot of the courses, I think the only downside is that the courses are mostly um, in Spanish, but their translations are very good. So you can follow the translations and all the text is written in English. And what I like is that they really have experts in their field that are giving these courses and it's everything from sculpture to woodwork to sewing to children book design to how to further develop an artistic sketchbook. They're so exciting and I wish I could do them all. But what's nice is they often have a lot of sales and package deals. Um, and even if you don't have the time for them now, what's nice is if you do purchase them, you keep them forever. So when you do finally have the time you can get to them. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's it's yeah, there's so many of those platforms where people are sharing now and I think we'll we'll post the links to all these websites on our blog um with the podcast. But the other thing that's really interesting is also just Instagram and how people are sharing on Instagram and TikTok. That's good on TikTok. That crazy platform TikTok that our generation just, I don't know, I just can't wrap my head around TikTok. I still feel too old for TikTok, yeah. but it's, it's gotten me. And the thing is, though, just speaking of TikTok, is I was first very adverse. I was like, no, I'm not 13. I'm not doing this. But my sister has got me onto it because she was saying like, no, you can actually learn very interesting things from it. It's not just people dancing to a song. But I've learned really interesting tricks about like Photoshop and Illustrator. And like, I never knew you could do, but they're these people that are sharing their knowledge in one little minute snippets that I've found really useful. <laughs> okay, well, I'll have a look at TikTok more. I've got TikTok, but I just, I don't apply myself to it. But I think that, that those platforms as well, super accessible, Instagram TV, Reels, all these things have been tremendously helpful in the way that we can access information and also share. You know, and I think that's, that's part of the thing that's also really, really important is that if you know how to do something, why not share what, what you know, if you feel like, you know, sure, I must teach people how to do this thing. And I, I think that that's, that's really valuable. And without that, we wouldn't have the resources that have we've been discussing in this um, portion of, of how to, to um, learn a new skill. It shows people's passion of it. And I feel that once you have something that you really fall in love with, I think your immediate response is like, I want the world to know, you know. And so I think that's where a lot of those reels come from and those little videos is that people want to share something that they're very passionate about with the rest of the world. And the hope is that there's someone else who's going to see that and find just as much joy from it and then want to learn from it as well. And as much as in we have these online platforms, I mean, we also have a lot of physical places that you can also go to to learn things. I mean, there are wonderful places that offer live workshops where you can, um, I know that there is 
in Cape Town, for example, the Ladder Cafe has a lot of creative people that come in to do illustration um, workshops and painting workshops and stained glass window workshops, um, which is really exciting. And even here in Johannesburg, there's a range of creative people offering really exciting workshops for you to attend to. If you are someone who does respond far better to working with someone physically, and it's also really nice to work with a group of people who are just as excited and eager to learn as you are. Mm. And I, uh, you know, just in Johannesburg, I know um, Bevan DeVette at 11 Editions, he does workshops, Divocrits projects they do workshops book with bound boundary does workshops marbling and book binding um there's so many amazing places where you can learn things and i i guess the the question to the the listeners would really be how to find these places you know and we're very focused on printmaking and art making and drawing and and all of that but i and that's the the beauty and again the value which we've spoken about but the value of instagram is that you you're able to follow people that are interesting to you um and that's that's really the key to find these things we'll post a few things on our on our website as well but um yeah follow things that are interesting to you and there's no harm in saying to someone I've actually had this thought a few times just to say if there's a photographer that I admire can I come and do an apprenticeship with you or can I come and follow you or can I come and learn from you they might say no but that's might the say yes. that's the worst that it's going to be or I could actually go and learn something but you have to put yourself out there and you have to actually say I appreciate what you're doing I admire what you're doing I would love to learn from you and I, I think that also it gives a confidence to people to validate their processes and their practices and say, you know, I think that this is so great. You could teach me. Could you teach me? Um, and I think that that's, that's really amazing. Like that collaboration that happens in physical spaces with apprenticeships. Apprenticeships are really wonderful spaces. Maybe apprenticeships also, I mean, tie in a lot with the word, like with the word internship. Um, and I know that it's how I've learned quite a lot and it's mostly just by sending really nice emails being like hi this is who I am this is what I do and I would really love to learn from you and what is really nice is that I've 80% of the time people have said yes Um, sometimes if you're doing an internship unfortunately they aren't able to kind of um, pay you for your time but how I've often seen is I'm learning a skill that if I had to go study this as a university, I would never be able to afford it. For example, like a lot of the stuff that I've done with conservation work. Um, and it doesn't hurt to ask people. Um, and like you said, well, like I may said, I mean, with Instagram, we're connected to so many people. There is nothing wrong with sending that person a DM or just sending them an email being like, hey, I really love what you do. How can I go about learning? And could you teach me? Which I think just putting yourself out there as well is such a great step because and like you said it's also validating that other person's like listen I think you're cool enough for me to learn from you and I think that's also sometimes a really nice thing to hear from someone it's like oh okay cool I'm actually on the right path and people want to learn what I know and the biggest thing then is ha being open to share that information as well because I know there are a lot of creative industries where people are very harboring of their information and I'm of the firm belief that that's at a huge detriment to the industry and that particular craft. Because why wouldn't you want? Yeah, sure. I think a lot of people like, oh, it's a it's a business thing. They're going to tap into your, your, your customers. But I feel like the more the merrier. 
and it opens up way more realm for collaboration and learning, which is just far more exciting than hiding your information. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a misconception that internship is related to someone who's never worked before, someone that's just come out of university. But if I think about it now, if I, you know, there's workshops, there's things called workshops and things called whatever, like places that you can go to to learn things. But there's no reason why you can't, as like an older person, go and say, oh, this is interesting. Let me come on a Saturday or in an evening one night and learn how to do this. And I, I don't know how many people actually go and do that because internships is for the rest of your life. You know, mm. you can, if you want to learn something, there's no reason why you can't learn it throughout your whole life. So um, then I suppose the next thing is, Learning what you want to do, but have um, making time to do it and having certain rituals, like creating a ritual and making time to, to learn the skills. From Just from our experience, because I mean, we, Amir and I are very good at um, giving ourselves a lot to do <laughs> and making that time and that structure manageable as well. And it goes back to kind of you setting those goals where they're manageable. It doesn't help that you're like, okay, within a week, I want to be able to to draw a hand perfectly. But you're also working a full-time job alongside that. So I think it's also about being realistic about those goals and realistic about these rituals that you set up. And those rituals don't have to be spending six hours every single day it can start off really small and manageable and it can grow from there but I think it is very important with every craft you need to dedicate time and if you can just say like okay every day when I come home from work at five o'clock cool I'll chill have my dinner but after dinner let me sit and do let me do something let me do something that aids to that goal yeah, like at the beginning of this year, it was quite challenging because um, being pregnant actually takes away your desire to do the things that you find joy in doing sometimes. Not for everyone, but it did for me at some point. And to try and get myself to be encouraged in investing time in the things that I found joy in, I decided to do a six-minute drawing a day, committing myself to that, which isn't a lot of time, but it would could potentially stay at six minutes or it could develop into half an hour or an hour or two hours or whatever it may become. And I found that really helpful. I must say I didn't stick to it every day, but the days that I felt I had to have to do something now, I did that and it was so rewarding. And it's actually my practice has developed, even though if I think at the time I didn't feel like I was making progress. I didn't, but the fact that I was doing it every day and it was a new theme, theme every day. I actually filled, tried to fill my chopped liver notebook with um, sketches. That was this, the, my sketchbook project that I was going to fill that whole book in this year. Luckily, we're only in June. But that really helped a lot. And I must say, with uh, working with a lot of artists, I've encouraged them when they've had a block or they've had the pandemic has still had such devastating effects for so many artists where they actually feel creatively drained they can't produce work and for a few artists I've actually you know advised or you know suggested that they do the six minute drawing a day and to see if that just unblocks them or just just gets rid of that creative block and it's, it's a way to stay optimistic and positive because you every day that six minutes those six minutes are you achieving a little something. And I think that that's what it's about. Just to have some sense of achievement rather than putting that 
pressure on yourself. Is, oh, I didn't do it again today. Or I didn't, you know, oh, I want to draw, but I haven't done anything. Or I don't have the materials. Is that you don't need any of that. You just need to go and apply yourself to ritualistic to that practice and I that was so rewarding and it wasn't a big commitment it was just so satisfying to do the things that you want to do and I think that that's for me quite a thing is do the things that you say you want to do because I think there's always that stress and pressure of I want to do something oh I didn't get to it again or having as you were saying we've got so many things that we want to do and the way that I found how to manage that is actually to organize it very strictly I'm going to do this this day or this this day or this between this hour and this hour is drawing time even if I just sit and stare at the pencils and the blank page and that's like my creative moment that I'm going to have that is time dedicated to that project and I think organizing it like that rather than trying to do everything at once and trying to fit in everything at once yeah that's very stressful so organizing that time maybe from our our university days where you have like your module and you have your timetable it's something that you that's some of the beauties of being self-taught and like being an autodidact is that you get to make your own course schedule in a way and that you have the time and I think like you're saying like having that dedicated time a phrase that's been coming up a lot for me at the moment is like holding space for creativity and I think it's such like a poignant little phrase because it's just like allowing yourself in that six minutes, hour, whatever amount of time, hold that space for you to be creative. And it's not for you to make a masterpiece. It's not there for you to make anything in particular, but to have that space for yourself and for your creativity. And I think that is so important because often happens where it's like you, you the day goes by and it's exhausting but there is so much reward in being like okay I did do that drawing I did do that that little painting I did do the little cross stitch I don't you know what I mean I Just, bound one book exactly and I think it's often that lead up to thinking like oh it's gonna be so emotionally and, and draining to sit down and try and make something but I think you often forget as a creative person creativity does come naturally to you you just have to give yourself that time to do it so that the scariness of leading up to it really isn't that bad you're just building it up in your head that it's going to be far more emotional work than what you think it's going to be but if you just sit down and like you said even if you're just staring at that blank piece of paper hold that space for that creativity and it's through doing that ritualistically where I think the most important thing is that you build up momentum. And I think momentum is the biggest thing that contributes to creativity. And it is very difficult to maintain that momentum, sure. Um, but I think it's trying to stick to that. And that goes back to just creating a schedule, creating that time and and once again, doing it in a way that's manageable for you to do to reach your goal. And then I think the other thing that really helps is just having a, a space where you can have your stuff out, you know, because if every single time you want to do something, you have to like unpack the pencils and the crayons from the little thing you keep it in, um, as opposed to just having a dedicated space or nook in your house where it's there, it's available, you're going to cut back on that time of trying to get everything out. And I mean, for artists, this would, would be normal, I mean, I suppose. But not everyone has the luxury of having a studio, and it does need to be a studio. I've got a friend in New York who just has a cupboard 
space that's got all her materials in it, all of her papers. There's a small little desk or shelf or whatever that's in that cupboard that she could work in. It could be the studio under the stairs, like um, if it was like Harry Potter meets art making. It can be something as simple as that, a cupboard with all of the materials in it where you can just grab it and go. You don't have to like organize it and just having a dedicated workspace is is 100% very helpful. To me that that really touches on like going back to that like institution versus self-teaching because I mean one of the big allures of being in an institution is that they have all the materials, all the equipment, all the facilities that you're going to need. And then the struggles come in when you're being a self-taught person is you don't have access to those things. But what comes of that is that you become an incredible problem solver and you kind of work with what you have. And what I realized from that is that you don't need to have the expensive paper. You don't need to have the the 0.5 pencil you don't you know what I mean you can use what you have on hand and build on from that so it makes you very adaptable as well in your workspace um like I may said it can just be just a cupboard that you have everything there and I think it it makes you a creative person that can work under different circumstances very quickly very adaptable because you've had to start off working from kind of the base level and once again, there's so much more room in creatively thinking through those problems of space, of workspaces, of materials. And it's the same thing with when you are self-teaching yourself something. Of course, you're not going to start from being like 100%. And it's the same when it comes to working with your materials on your workspace. It's something that you build up over time. As you learn, you figure out you need new tools. But I still love that there are ways that you can MacGyver things. And that you can work around problems. And through that, you become a more well-rounded, creative person. So, I mean, the next the next thing that's really essential, um, and always to keep in mind, we're very big activists of it. And it's quite the reason that I know a lot of how to do printmaking is uh, collaboration. You know, that is the way to learn working together with people. If you know how to do something and they know how to do something there's no find something to do together, I guess you know, and see and keep each other in mind. I think as well that's that's quite has been quite significant between us as well. You know the things that we've done, um, just to keep each keep each other in mind and growing your network in that way. I think that that's like collaboration meets community is very very important. I agree with you. I mean, like like you said, that's perfect. Where collaboration meets community. Just from like our creative relationship, I love it. We're constantly sharing each other what we've made. And um, there's something so exciting in that because there's someone else that's just as excited as you are about what you're making. And there's someone who's also critically looking at everything that you're making as well. And there, there's so much beauty in that. And there's nothing more fun than creating creative things with your other creative friends um i'm working on a few collaborations at the moment and i'm finding them such rewarding things to do you're making this beautiful artistic baby that would never have happened in isolation that's often the key is that creative people and i think a lot of artists that we tend to sometimes work in isolation and there is definitely room and a time and a space for working in isolation but I think that it is very important to go back to a community 
to go back to that collaborative space where you are opening yourselves up to far more ideas because when it comes to collaboration you're learning from that other person and I think there is so much wealth of information from that that you can't learn from just a YouTube video or just from a domestica course because you're learning from someone else's creative experiences and little tricks and trades and also learning how they think creatively. And I think there is such wealth of information in that. Mm, I think also that um, collaborating with someone on a product like what you've done, I've also done that with artists in terms of animation or animating sculptures and so on. But where that goes is beyond your frame of reference. So it's maybe going to go into an exhibition or it's going to be shown in a collection or it's going to be shown where you have the opportunity to meet other people because they're going to look at this thing and they're going to be like, who made this and who did you make it with? And, you know, all those things. And then you meet new people and then those people hear about you and then there's more opportunity in that and it grows like that because you can't grow. I mean, you can grow up to a point in like a certain type of pot but then you need a bigger type of pot and that expands or if you you know it's just you have to grow and you have to put yourself out there and get out of your comfort zone and actually believe in your abilities I've had that a few times where you know someone asks if you could do something let's say it's a photograph or whatever if you say no then you just basically staying where you are if you say yes and you don't know necessarily exactly how to do the thing but you go and you say I'm gonna fake it till I make it I'm gonna learn I'm gonna make this work the rewards in that actually are so big that because you're going beyond your your frame of reference and people are seeing you and people actually perceive people perceive us very differently than what we perceive ourselves I maybe don't see myself as an artist but yet there are people who want to buy your work or collaborate with you or learn from you so I think that there's great value in in just expanding your network um, and your community the last thing in being an autodidact that's really the ultimate reward of nurturing these interests and it's basically how to turn your interests into a business something that can give back to you as a person as well you know because Yes, you're learning skills and you're learning all these things. But recently, I've seen a lot of friends um, make businesses from things that they're interested in. You yourself have created a bindery from all self-taught things relating to book binding. Um, I've got another friend who makes cakes. We've got another colleague that makes earrings. I've got... There's so many there's so many different people that are doing so many different things and taking something so simple and turning it into a way to generate income. So I think that the question is really how does that happen? How do you take what you've taught yourself and turn that into a business or something that that can give back to you in financially? Well, just from my personal experience, it's something that just kind of happened. It starts off by once again, like going through all of those steps where you find something you love and then you kind of just nurture it. And it's once you're kind of sharing that with people and you're getting a positive response from people and you're like, oh, okay, wow, what I'm making people actually like. So I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and I think as much as you're making things for yourself, I think it there's no matter who you are, I think that getting that external affirmation of what you're making is good 
and valued as much as you value that thing yourself getting that external value I mean you're going to feel good about it um for me personally it's when I started to kind of showcase what I was making and then I was getting a lot of people just from word of mouth being like oh Elise makes books oh okay let's ask her if she can do this and it goes back to the thing we fake it till we make it and it's where you're teaching yourself kind of on the job as well of how to do things um and as I was getting more and more commissions to make books and I was once again going back that collaborative aspect of making books is something that I've completely fallen in love with because it's I mean there's nothing more fun than working with other artists but it was as that developed as getting more orders in and kind of from retail spaces to artists to people who just want books for their home and it's like oh okay this can actually be something that can grow and it kind of that was one aspect of it but also the fact that it was taking up so much of my time that there was no way for me to kind of choose it was like full-time job or this is that the the book things would kind of um taking over my time rather than kind of my normal nine to five stuff and I found far more joy out of doing the books um and I think what's happened to a lot of people with COVID is that a lot of people lost their jobs and that's something that happened to me and I was thankful that kind of everything just happened at the right time and the right place where as I lost my job luckily my book business was actually starting to take off so it was a moment of was like okay cool let's actually make this like Facebook official I guess and turn this into a business with a name with a website with everything attached to it and and now I'm very grateful for what I have and how it's kind of built and developed and like I said with a lot of our friends that have happened in the same way I think during the pandemic when we're all stuck at home and all these creative people, we don't necessarily have access to the same tools that we used to be able to do. So let's find something that will challenge us mentally, challenge our creativity. So let's try something else. And we're seeing a lot of our other creative friends who have now turned that little hobby thing that they taught themselves during the pandemic and now making it into something that's financially um, helping them and it's still finding a lot of joy out of making those things mm, so I think I'm just also from taking from what you're saying is that people should share 100% what they do I mean the resources that we've spoken about Instagram Facebook all these places are the perfect platform um, for you to put your things out there and to get support from from people who are actually just so amazed I see the support by everyone who's um, you know they're putting their things out there and people are like oh my gosh that's amazing um yeah, and then really just conversations that I've had with, with colleagues and, and so on, just on how to develop, get to the point where you actually have a skill or a craft or something that you can take in that direction is really just a f another step in that is just applying yourself to everything that you do 100%. If you're in a, in a, in a job, and that's not necessarily the perfect job, but you get to learn certain skills. That's really what happened to me working in, in graphic design. I was in digital advertising before I started working at David Crit. And I actually learned so much about Photoshop, Illustrator, all those design programs because I needed to make these advertisements. And I threw myself into that. I didn't, that's not the job that I wanted to do. I, did, I 
knew I was always going to work in the arts, but in Poch, that's where I was. And actually that's enabled me. All those skills that I'd learned that I'd love to spend extra time learning has now transformed into me being able to create books. I've created corporate identities. I've created various things. I don't, I mean, I don't love that graphic design aspect in terms of corporate work, but I love the book aspect of it. And I love um, website things and, you know, but just learning how to do those skills that have actually just come from me applying myself 100% in a job that wasn't 100% right for me, but just giving it all, all the time. And I think that's so important because you never know where it's going to come from. Take every single opportunity that comes to you, surely with, within your means, but it's like with orders that you get in, commissions that you get, I think say yes to those because it is through saying yes to those things that you're going to learn. And like I may said, like even if you are currently in a nine to five job that really isn't what drives your passion, there are things within that environment that you can learn, that you can apply to any other circumstance. I mean, whether it's learning how to use Excel spreadsheets for accounting. I mean, it's something that I think is so crucial for every creative person. And especially if you're going to start a business out of it, learning those little just how to work with numbers, um, how to work with sales, um, just all of those things are crucial. And I think especially when it comes to a creative field and when you are a creative who's now turned their passion into a business, you unfortunately do become the the accountant, the social media manager, the shipping manager, the production. You become everything. And don't take the skills that you're learning in your, for lack of a better term, your corporate job at the moment. Those skills that you learn there can so easily be applied to a creative environment because the creative environments, they make use of everything. And it's just kind of how you're applying them. So moral is apply yourself and learn at every opportunity that you can because it will benefit you. Even if not now, down the road, you can be like, you know what? I should have listened to that Excel spreadsheet tutorial. <laughs> I should have listened to that Chop Liver podcast that gave all these tips <laughs> on how I should do stuff. But um, yeah, I think with that, we want to just say that we would love to hear from anyone and everyone who's taught themselves how to do something, so any kind of skill, any kind of product that you've created or artwork that you've created um, and send it to us. And we'd love to fe feature it on our platforms and yeah, just support and share what you've done as well. And maybe we'll learn something for ourselves, something more. Something else that we want to do. So no, please share it. I mean, we'd love to share it on our Instagram and once again, just build that wonderful supportive creative community because I find that sometimes it's scary to share your things, but know that the community is far more supportive than what you think it is. Um, so give us, we want to see all your beautiful creations. And I think that brings us to the end of episode seven of the Chop Liver podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. For more information on the platform, visit our website, choppedliversociety.com and like us on Facebook and Instagram and bring your friends. And this podcast was produced by Jonathan Bell at Bell Studios in Johannesburg.